Thanks for tuning in to the Lake Forest Church Podcast. Lake Forest is a community for people who have given up on church, but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our churches in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Good morning. I'm Michael Flake, uh, one of the pastors at Lake Forest Davidson. Uh, Clearly, I'm not at Davidson this morning. I'm here. It's good to be here, be with you fine folks. If you do or maybe don't know the whole um, Lake Forest story, the original Lake Forest was, still is, in Huntersville in 2011. They um, started um, Lake Forest Davidson. They said, hey, go do something with that. And um, they regret the decision to this day. Um, And in 2014, uh, together, we started Lake Forest Westlake. So so we're kind of like, Davidson's sort of like the big brother, like the good big brother, not like the spying on you big brother. Uh, We get in trouble for all the stuff y'all just get to do. So it's all great. It's wonderful. We, uh, it's fun for me to be here and be with you guys, and I come once or twice a year usually, so I always look forward to this, to this Sunday. I, I also feel a need, I always bring some like updates to give you, so you're kind of like in the know about uh, like for your, your brother or sister, like Forrest Davidson. So a couple like uh, little updates. One is that um, our musicians, you guys have uh, great music, great musicians, and, and I know some of the songs are unique to um, you guys, which is awesome. Our musicians do something similar, and so they hold away and made a little album of songs they had written over the years, and it's called The Gift. So if you would like one, I can't much charge you for it because it's called The Gift. So, uh, But I brought some copies. I brought like 50 copies. I was just looking around the house, and then I found some, and so I brought them and I put them out at the information table. So if you would like uh, one of these, feel free to uh, feel free to grab it. That would be that would be wonderful. The other big news for us is that you guys set the you guys went ahead of us, which was great. Uh, but Lake Forest Davidson is under contract for some property in Davidson. So this is an exciting uh, step for us. Oh, thank you. Well. So we've been looking for a while, uh, a long while, and um, so the the big things for us was was staying within walking distance of the college campus because that's a big part of who we are. So I don't know if you've uh, appraised real estate in Davidson recently. <laughs> if you want to stay within walking distance of the college campus, that'll run you about a million dollars an acre. So. Um, Lake Forest Davidson is under contract for four acres on 115 Main Street uh, in Davidson. So it's a great spot to be in. Uh, So if you do the math then, four acres at a million dollars an acre, you'll be glad to know we're getting it for less than a million dollars an acre. A steal at 650 uh, an acre, like thousand, 650,000 an acre. So it's almost robbery, honestly, but I think y'all bought 40 acres for $800,000. It's just the differences. <laughs> Economies are different. Uh, so it's a great thing for us. We're really, we are excited about it. It, it, it keeps us where we need to be. We knew we were going to have to uh, pay for a, a big number to, to do that and to stay there. And I got really good news for you guys. You don't have to pay for it. <laughs> 
Um, what you do do, so if this is a, just about our governance, just so you understand. It, at Lake Forest and within our denomination, it's not the pastors who buy and sell property, it's the congregation, the ministry partners who do. That's a good check and balance. So the way we do it is that the congregation who's buying the property has to pay for it, but we ask all the congregations to vote yes or no, kind of as an affirmation one way or the other. Does that make sense? So next week, the ministry partners of Lake Forest Davidson are going to vote yes or no to purchase the property. We got our heads in the game. We're studying this thing and all this kind of thing, and we got to pay for it. Uh, they'll vote yes or no next week, and if that goes well, which I think it will, then uh, we'll ask Huntersville and Westlake the next week to kind of ratify that vote, if that makes sense. So I just want to give you that heads up from me so you don't see that in a couple of weeks be like, we've never heard anything about this. Like, no, it's a good thing. We're excited about it. And if you know Davidson, too, you have to have shared parking. So we're going to actually recoup a lot of this money in a parking lot that we don't have to build, aren't allowed to build, because we'll have to do shared parking with nearby businesses. So that'll all work. The last little detail so that you know how to be praying for us is uh, the one thing about this property is it has to get rezoned. There's an ordinance in Davidson that churches can only be so close to other churches. And it's, it is point. Oh, four miles too close to the nearest church. So if we could just move the Methodist church just a little bit. <laughs> or if their southernmost building were to catch on fire. <laughs> Is this being recorded? <laughs> so don't pray for any of that. Pray that the town will rezone. Rezone the, the structure, rezone our little acreage. That would be, that would be wonderful. We're excited for you guys too. Y'all are moving right along in that exciting times, but just fun to be a church family together, whether we're in a gym or on a field or whatever. Good to be a church family together. Today we're continuing a series of sermons called Follow Me. Uh, this is an invitation that Jesus gives to all of us. Follow me, Jesus says. So we want to examine that uh, yet again, and I want to do that through a passage in Mark chapter 4. I'll get to that in a minute. I want to start off by just naming an experience. It's an experience we've all had, but I'll never forget the first time it happened to me. I'll never forget the first time I was welcomed to a new neighborhood by a drug dealer. I was in college. I was trying to figure out what following Jesus meant for my life. I had my faith, but I still had my doubts. And so I decided to live in the poorest part of my hometown, Memphis, Tennessee, and I worked with a ministry to youth in this community. Now, because of Memphis' historic segregation patterns, the community in which I was going to live, work with the youth, was all black. It was half African-American, half African refugees. Growing up in my part of Memphis, you would hear the occasional comment, and the sentiment was sort of clear. Don't go to that part of town after dark. Really don't go to that part of town in the light. Really don't go to that part of town. So the ministry leader that I was going to be working with, he lived in this community, and his advice to me was, Mike, everything's going to be fine so long as you stay on the main roads. But when you turn off onto a side street, people are going to assume you're there to buy drugs. Because the only reason we see white people on the side streets is that they're in uh, our neighborhood to buy drugs. So everything will be fine once you're on the main roads. But once you cross the boundary and move on to the side streets, that's when everything will change. So I turned off the main road onto a side street. 
and drove up to the house where I was going to live for the summer. And as I look in my rearview mirror, I see a man approaching my car. So I get out and he looks at me and says, oh, I'm sorry, I thought you were somebody else. Now, I later learned from the person I was living with that this man was a small business owner trying to have fewer assets tied up in inventory. <laughs> so I just, you know, said, hey, I'm Mike. I'm going to be living here with Damon for the summer and all this sort of stuff. And he says, oh, cool. Welcome to the neighborhood. Who needs the welcome wagon? <laughs> welcome to the neighborhood. The ministry leader was right, though. When everything changed, when things got a little wild, was once I crossed the boundary, once I crossed that dividing line. And we live in a world full of dividing lines, don't we? Actual physical boundaries. We talk about people coming from the other side of the track. Our, that's a physical boundary. Our political parties and, our, and Congress are separated by an aisle. It's an actual physical boundary. In school cafeterias, there are unspoken lines about who can and cannot sit where. We choose houses based on school district lines or on county lines. We have national lines. We reinforce those with languages. Human beings have all kinds of lines, and we don't dare cross them. And in fact, we can become a little preoccupied with our side of the dividing line. So my question for us today is, what does it mean to follow Jesus in a world full of human-drawn lines? What is going to happen when Jesus calls us <clears throat> to cross over boundaries, to be boundary breakers, to be boundary bridgers? Is that when things are going to change? So the sermon series is called Follow Me after Jesus' invitation. Follow me, Jesus says. This is an invitation he makes to everyone. Follow me, leave behind the life that you know, and live life with me at the center. Follow me is an invitation to a relationship and to a different way of life. To a relationship and a different way of life. It's an invitation to a relationship with Jesus because you will journey with Jesus. You will do life with Jesus. You will walk with Jesus every step of the way. It's an invitation to a relationship. But it's also an invitation to a different way of life because our major relationships change us. They change who we are. So how much more will a relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ change us? Jesus is inviting us to a different way of life. So today I want to look at Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. And what I want to do is get a sense of something Jesus did that you and I as his followers, or if we were to become his followers, something that we can do as well. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 begins. It says, That day when evening came, he, Jesus, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. I think that's one of the most controversial verses in the whole Bible. Now I'm going to tell you why. And I've got to set it up by explaining that Jesus' ministry happened in a part of the Middle East that was called the Sea of Galilee. But it's not actually a sea, it's a lake. It'd be like if we called it the Sea of Norman. It's a lake. So on one side of the lake, on one side of the sea, are the Jewish people. These are people who uh, worship God. They have study and live by the Old Testament, and they live on one side of the lake. Jesus and his original disciples were all Jewish. In fact, many of those original disciples had grown up around this lake, this Sea of Galilee. And, of course, they grew up on the Jewish side. On the other side of the lake is the Gentile side. That means the non-Jewish people, the people who don't worship God. They don't live according to the Old Testament. They live on the other side 
of the lake. Good Jewish boys and girls knew that they had no reason to be on the Gentile side of the lake, certainly not after dark. So you've got Jesus. Jesus is staring out at the Sea of Galilee. He is staring out at an actual physical boundary separating two groups of people. And he says this to his first followers. Let's go to the other side. Now, if you're one of those first disciples, what are you thinking? This is a horrible idea. Right? They didn't get into this to go to the other side of the lake. They signed up to follow Jesus on the Jewish side of the lake. They didn't get into this to be boundary breakers or to be boundary bridgers. There's plenty of work on their side of the lake. Plenty of needs on their side of the lake. Verse 36. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. So we have this image of Jesus and the disciples being in a crowd. There's a lot of boats. But then as they start to sail further out into the Sea of Galilee, as they start to sail to the other side of the lake, things get quieter, lonelier, solitary. Verse 37, a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? So Jesus is at the end of a long day of ministry. He is sleeping in the stern of the boat, which I believe is the back. I'm no Gilligan, but let's assume he's sleeping in the back. He's in the stern. He's asleep. And a violent storm arises, what the Bible calls a furious squall. I would encourage you to find some way today to use the term furious Squall. That's what we're praying for, right, Ken? We need a furious squall around here. It's a little dry. So find a way to use the phrase furious squall. It's this violent storm. The disciples and Jesus are now in a very dangerous situation because there's so much water getting into their boat. So at this point, the disciples go and wake up Jesus, and they are angry because they don't say, Hey, Jesus, we need your help. They say, Jesus, don't you care if we drown? What are they so angry about? What's the subtext? I think they're angry because they think they're about to drown because of Jesus' little pet project about going to the other side of the lake. They didn't want to go to the other side of the lake. They thought it was a horrible idea. And here they are about to drown because of Jesus' crazy idea, his little pet project, his big bleeding heart. Now I want to add kind of a, a God or theology layer on top of this. Because as uh, Jewish people, they would have known or at least been aware of a lot of things in the Old Testament. There is a famous storm in the Old Testament that is almost identical to what the disciples and Jesus are going through. And it can be found in Jonah chapter 1. If you've been part of our family of churches long enough... About a year and a half ago, we studied together Jonah chapter 1. In Jonah chapter 1, Jonah is trying to go someplace that God does not want him to go. And so to prevent Jonah from getting to this place he's not supposed to go, God sends a violent storm, what you could call a... Very good, you found a way, a furious squall... To keep Jonah from getting there. So now imagine you're the disciples. 
Not only do you not want to go to the other side of the lake, but when the storm comes up, you might actually think God doesn't want you to go to the other side of the lake. You might think God is giving you the Jonah treatment. And so you go angry and wake up Jesus and say, don't you care if we drown? It is time to give up on this pet project. We're not supposed to go there and turn this boat around. How will Jesus respond? Verse 39, he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This must have been one of those mind-blowing moments for the disciples because they're not excited about going to the other side of the lake. And at least some of them are now thinking God doesn't want them to go to the other side of the lake, that it's time to turn back. And then Jesus stands up, his deep and compassionate eyes still fixed on the Gentile side of the lake. And Jesus says in this very Jesus kind of way, stop it. Now, I imagine the disciples thought at first that he was talking to them, and they think this is going to come to blows. They were some rough individuals. They realized he was not talking to them. He was talking to the wind. He was talking to the waves. He was talking to the storm. And they realized the wind has stopped, and the rain has stopped. And it's this wild image of the disciples and Jesus standing in a water-filled boat on a completely calm sea. At this point, they start looking at each other and asking, who are we following? So I grew up in church. That was a really good experience for me. I grew up at a great church. I've heard this passage taught on a few times. And there are two main takeaways that are usually drawn from Jesus calming the storm. The first takeaway is that nature obeys Jesus, that Jesus has power over creation because Jesus is not part of creation. Jesus is the creator, not creation, and so he is the God of all creation. He came to earth. He made himself human to redeem humanity, and so he has power over creation. That's a good takeaway, that Jesus is creator, not creation, and thus he has power over creation. The other takeaway that's sometimes made is that Jesus is with us in the storms of our lives. And at just the right moment, Jesus is going to calm the storm. When we are ready to give up and turn around, Jesus is going to calm the storm. And the only explanation will be the miraculous power of Jesus and how deeply he loves us. And that's a good takeaway too, that at just the right time, Jesus will calm the storms in our lives. But when we look at the overarching flow of Jesus' ministry, this passage has one primary point that I always missed. And in fact, I would say whatever else we learn from the passage, this is like the primary thing it's trying to convey, which is nothing is going to keep Jesus and his followers from reaching the other side of the lake. Nothing is going to keep Jesus and his followers from reaching the other side of the lake. Nothing is going to stop Jesus from crossing the physical boundary. Nothing is going to stop Jesus from being a boundary breaker, being a boundary bridger. He's laying the foundation of his ministry. He's laying the foundation of the whole Jesus movement here. 
And in fact, today the Jesus movement is the most diverse movement of people in all human history. Sometimes you'll hear it said or read a story or whatever about how um, the church is, is really struggling. I got great news. The church is not really struggling. The church is doing amazing in South America and in Africa and throughout most parts of Asia and even in that old Soviet bloc of Eastern Europe. The only real places the church is having struggles right now is in Western civilization, in Western Europe and into the U.S. But beyond that, the church is flourishing. It's the most diverse movement of people in all human history. Only about 10% of Christians live in the United States, alive today, live in the United States. It is a very diverse movement of people. And eventually it'll turn too, because Koreans and Zambians and what, will start sending missionaries to the U.S. It's all going to turn again. They already are. You're right. They already are. I, I've, I've had the privilege of preaching this sermon uh, at Huntersville and then Davidson and at, and at uh, now here. And uh, a man came up to me after I preached in Huntersville, a Zambian missionary sent to the United States. That's right. Beautiful stuff. So, so all that to say, this is what Jesus is doing. He's laying the foundation of the entire Jesus movement here. And he cares about the Jewish people and their side of the lake and their needs. He also cares about the Gentile people and their needs and their side of the lake. And so when Jesus says, let's go to the other side, that's not like a passing fancy for him. That's the core statement of his ministry on earth. Let's go to the other side. And the point of the sermon is that Jesus did not travel alone, that Jesus took his disciples with him. And even today, Jesus does not travel alone. He wants to take you, if you're his follower, he wants to take you with him. That if you follow Jesus or ever come to follow Jesus, he wants you to follow him across dividing lines, across physical boundaries. He wants you to take a risk, but take a risk in, in Jesus' name. Take a risk for God's sake. Jesus invites his followers to serve the needs of people and to share the good news and to do so on both sides of the lake. Jesus invites his followers to serve the needs of people and to share the good news. The good news being that you don't have to be estranged from God, that God is not angry with you. God is not furious at you. God wants you to call him your father in heaven. He wants you to be his son or his daughter by faith. You can be eternally reconciled to God through Jesus. So to serve the needs of people and to share the good news and to do so on both sides of the lake, on both sides of the track, on both sides of the aisle. For those zoned to the school you go to and those zoned to the school you hope you're never zoned to. Willing to go across national borders, to go across languages, to share the good news of Jesus, to tell people you are valuable in God's sight and I choose to serve you. If you keep reading the book of Mark, you'll see that this is actually exactly what happens. That Jesus develops followers on both sides of the lake, both among the Jews and the Gentiles. He goes to the Jewish side of the lake and feeds 5,000 people. Then he goes to the Gentile side of the lake and feeds 4,000 people. In both instances, he gave the food to his disciples to give to the people. I think he did that at least in part. So his disciples would have to look 4,000 Gentiles in the eyes. 
Because once you look enough people in the eyes who are on the other side of the dividing line, you start to realize why Jesus couldn't take his eyes off their side of the line. Eternity with God is described this way in Revelation chapter 7. If you've ever heard descriptions of eternity or heaven that don't make you all that excited to go there, it may be because it's not in the Bible. Like the whole sitting on harp clouds playing harps, actually not in the Bible. This is what the Bible says about eternity. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And together, this huge multitude of people, this uncountable multitude of people, worship God. It is this ragtag family of people assembled together from every nation, every ethnic group, every subculture, every political persuasion, the different colors creating a work of art, the different languages creating a symphony. It is a family brought together by the Lamb. And the Lamb is a symbol for Jesus Christ because He sacrificed Himself for you. He sacrificed himself for me. He sacrificed himself for an uncountable multitude of people so that we can be reconciled to God, so that we can worship God with our lives on earth and we can worship God with our lives after earth, into eternity, that we can live different lives, better lives than we would ever imagine for ourselves. I imagine that moment the disciples are, are standing in the boat, water, you know, uh, up to their, their, I don't know, ankles, knees, wherever, and they're on a completely calm sea. They, I just imagine them looking around and thinking, how in the world did we get here? And my hope for you, my prayer for you, is that as you follow Jesus, you would have some kind of a moment like that, a moment of just deep astonishment, where you would be able to look around and ask yourself, how in the world did I get here? And then you will realize, oh yeah, I'm following Jesus. That's the only way to explain it. Jesus is at work on all sides of the lake. Jesus is at work on all sides of every boundary, every division. Jesus did not draw the lines. Jesus does not respect the lines. And storms will not stop him. And hatred will not stop him. Stubbornness will not stop him. Apathy will not stop him. Nothing is going to stop Jesus. Jesus is at work on all sides of every dividing line. And he invites you and he invites me to join him. Follow me, Jesus says. Let's go to the other side. So my question for you to reflect on, for me to reflect on as I sort of wrap this up, my part of the service at least, is to ask you, what is the lake Jesus has called you to cross with him? What is the lake that Jesus has called you to cross with him? Whether that makes you excited or fearful, whether you would go alone or in a group, even if it makes some of your Christian friends think you have lost your mind, every once in a while it is okay for some of your Christian friends to think you have lost your mind. What is the lake 
Jesus has called you to cross with him. What the physical boundary, the dividing line, Jesus has called you to cross with him. It could be as simple as the fence between you and your neighbor's house. It could be as big as going over national borders on a mission trip or maybe as a missionary. It could be something in between. What is the lake Jesus has called you to cross with him, with him, with him, with him? I'm going to emphasize that part. With him, with him, with him. Not on your own strength, not by your own power, but relying on Jesus, following Jesus every step of the way with him. Now, honestly, for some of you, this question may come out of left field today. So where do you start if this question comes out of like total left field? The lake, I, I, you know, I would say that the first step for some of us would simply be to open up this conversation with God. That can be a big step. To ask Jesus Christ to give you eyes less like yours, more like his, to see the world anew, to see the world afresh, maybe even to see dividing lines you had overlooked or never noticed or grown accustomed to. And to ask him to begin to stir in you, maybe in conversation with a wise friend as you read the scripture, as you're taught and study the scripture. Just Listen, pay attention to those places where God stirs something in you. And then, as best you can tell, just take a step. Sometimes we kind of want God to give us like the 10-year plan and so we can know if we should sign on or not. I got bad news about that. In my experience, that's generally not how God works. Maybe sometimes, but God usually doesn't give you the 10-year plan. He says, follow me. How do you follow somebody? One step at a time. (laughs) Honestly, if he had given the original disciples the 10-year plan, it might have freaked them out. So he just took them one step at a time. Or some people like me, if you give me the 10-year plan, that's great. Now I don't need you anymore. I got the plan. And so Jesus says, follow me. One step at a time. Let's go to the other side of the lake. He's putting together a ragtag family of people from all places, all directions, on every side of every line. There's always room in his family for you. Churches have a lot of problems. You know why they have a lot of problems? Because there's room for people like you in them. We'll take anybody. Because Jesus told us to take anybody. (laughs) Follow me, Jesus says. Let's walk together. Let's pray.